Chicago, Illinois, when we were both in graduate school studying counseling psychology. She has been my friend for about a decade now, and she is one of the deep loves of my life. When I asked her what she wanted to talk about today, she gave me three choices. Grief, partnering someone in a 12-step program, and the gift of platonic love. So we started with this topic of platonic love, but we may need to get her back on the pod to talk about these other hidden worlds sometime soon. Megan lives in London, England with her husband and two cats. She is a treasure that I am so excited to share with you. Welcome to this week's episode of So I know when we were texting about this conversation, you and I asked you what you felt like you would want to talk about, like the thing, a list of things that you feel like a burning passion about. And, and one of the things that you mentioned was platonic love. So like friendships. And when, when we were thinking, or when we were just talking throughout this whole time, I've been thinking actually about that because a lot of um, like my my own secure attachment to myself or my um, ability to make mistakes and mature beyond them has been because of platonic love, not necessarily like some sort of magical romance that healed me in a sort of Disney princess way. You know, thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. Thousand. So I, I'm. I want to know, since it's your burning passion, and since you are one of my like biggest platonic loves of all time. <laughs> what 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 is burning and passionate about it for you? Thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what you just said which is that I think that there is more security in my own value and worth Mm -hmm. that gets reflected to me in my friendships with other women than probably any relationship I've Mm -hmm. ever had. Um, I mean, say for, say for probably my dad, I think he's, he's, it's a tie, but like there is loads that I get out of, my marriage, it goes without saying, like, I love Nick so much. And I consider being married, like one of the best things I've ever done for my own personal growth. Yeah. Because it's like endless mirror holding. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> um, but the, the thing that I love, like about our friendship is like, well, many things. One, it's my, one of my only experiences in my life with love at first sight. Yeah, I know. See, me too. Yeah, totally. I love it. Like, I love our love story. I I could tell it to a million dinner parties. Like, it really, 
I'm like, well, we were in class the other one day and we're going around and introducing ourselves. And she's across the room for me and was like, I'm, I studied religion at Baylor. And I just felt like deeply compelled. Yes. I was just like, oh my God, it's you. Yeah, I know. I know. And you introduced yourself before me. And when you introduced yourself, I was like, oh shit. Hey, let's be one of my persons. Yeah. And then, and then like, you know, we go, go, go. And, and I started introducing myself and I was basically like, I'm talking to Megan. I know. I've got this. I was like, that's, this is, do I get something after this? <laughs> and it took us like a few weeks to just be like, should we go on a date? <laughs> Went on a date to a Jamaican restaurant called Jaw Grill in Lincoln Park. And it was great. Oh, oh that's so, so great. Um, I feel like there's a billion things we could talk about, but to your earlier point, if I'm in a moment of like real um, self-doubt, I feel like it's the relationships with you and Courtney and other, you know, women who have been, like Casey, like women who I am, yeah, Lauren, like this deep, deep, deep platonic love where I go, I know that person sees me and thinks I am wonderful. And if I fall on my face in this work assignment, I really could not care less. Like there's no, there is not, no. The conditions of our friendship are like much more around show up, love me, do the work, love yourself. Like they're much more about like, hey, when you're a dick, yeah, could you own that? Yeah, yeah. And then as long as you do, and like I do the same, the rest is like up for grabs, baby girl. Like we're so good. And like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and like anybody who messes with you is like going to have a rough day. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Yes. There's, um, I was, I, a few days ago, I was remembering we were having dinner at your house in Roscoe Village with, I think, Kristen and at least two other people or one other person. Maybe Kristen and Ellen, maybe Casey. I don't remember who was there. Yeah. And um, we were all talking and suddenly the rest of the dinner party got quiet. And, do you remember this? I do remember this. And this then Kristen and Ellen at my yeah. place in Roscoe okay. Village. Yeah. And they were just looking at us really weird. Yeah. And then they said, I, I don't think the two of you realize that none of us know what you're saying, but that you're speaking to each other in this weird shorthand where it's, it's not English. And yet you seem to completely understand <laughs> each other. And you and I were both like, oh, I thought it was all the words. I thought it was 100% of each sentence. Subject, object, verb, adverb, maybe, adjective. And they were like, no. No, like you've not been speaking English for a while now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been interesting, but yeah, like, nope. <laughs> I remember that so much. We were talking about the original campfire. Oh, that's right. That's what we were talking about. We were talking about feeling like this, this love runs real, real old. Yeah, like the origins of the world old. Mm -hmm. Maybe we started losing them there. I don't know, but. <laughs> but we got it. <laughs> that's, that's what matters.
matters. <laughs> that matters. And I think another, one of the things that I also love about our love so much, which I, I probably have with like three people tops, one of whom is like my big sister, like a blood relative, you know? Yeah. Um, is this agreement sort of, which is like, I'm not here to get involved in your decision making or your life charting. Like, yeah, you know, so it's sort of like, I remember um, my friend Pippa telling me this story because I was saying something to her. I was talking about a fight I had with Nick and she was like, well, he sucks and you're the best. And you just remember that because you're number one. And I was like, I know, but like, I love him so much. And she was like, <laughs> I know he's great. I just, you know, I'm like, I just sometimes feel bad because, you know, like I'm complaining to you and I'll tell you the good stuff. And she was like, oh, I think I need to explain something to you. <laughs> I'm on your side. Mm -hmm. So like, if you're in love and you're happy and you're good, awesome. If you're like, come pick me up. I'm leaving this dude. Great. See you there. Like, yes, I'm on your side. That's what I want you to know. We, we good? Yeah. You good, sis? Yeah. And I was like, okay, yes. And that is kind of a that is super, super rare yes. to have a deeply attached person mm -hmm. who, who, who doesn't have an investment in telling me what to do or how I should do it. Yeah. Like the outcome or the steps taken towards that outcome is none of my business. You know, with the exception of, I think I would intervene if I thought you were like unsafe. Oh, well, I think, and I think interventions about my well-being on any level are great. Do, like, yeah. Of course. And like, you would just be like, hey, and you've done it, which I've loved, which is like, hey, I'm just noticing that. No, really. When you're like, hey, I'm just noticing this. <laughs> is it a thing? Yeah. If it's not a thing, no problem. I just wanted to raise it because I love you. And if it is a thing, okay, well, like, I'm here for you. And great. But yeah, I love when you uh, tell me off. <laughs> I just like, oh, that would be, I think that you should right. move back, you know, or like mm, that marriage sounds really unhealthy. I think you should probably wait. Like, right. That's, that is not helpful. Well, that's not helpful. Some of this I think is about what we're sort of alluding to, which is maybe if there really is, you know, reincarnation of soul material throughout lifetimes. I think sometimes, at least for me, I realize that sometimes the journey we're supposed to be taking is messy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so trying to control that mess before you've gotten what you need from it is pointless, you know, or trying to avoid it. You usually can't. You're, you have to. The Buddhists would call this samskaras. According to Buddhist philosophy, we are all born with these mental and emotional patterns, or perhaps we develop these mental and emotional patterns through experiences in early childhood or our early environments. Um, 
And those mental and emotional patterns become things that we need to work out in our lifetime. And so we tend to cycle through these patterns over and over again. And they call these patterns samskaras. The opportunity of a lifetime is to start to identify these mental and emotional patterns or samskaras to make them conscious so that we can then liberate ourselves from those things um, or heal them, resolve them, and start to live beyond them. The older that I get, the more I have like an allergy to my own mess. Like, <laughs> like but also I'm more, I have more space for, and, and I think like, I look at my kids and I'm like, they're probably gonna have, I mean, they're gonna have to make big mistakes. Mm-hmm. And if I want to stay close to them and all of that, and I think that this is easiest to do in friendships in platonic love, cause it's not mm-hmm. like if Jim starts, um, you know, gambling that impacts me negatively. Yeah in a really severe, serious, immediate way. Yeah. And so I don't have as much room for him to like have his journey. <laughs> no, you're like, so I don't want to be controlling, but knock it off. <laughs> like, but, yeah. but with friends, it's like, as long as you're safe and you're taking your journey and you're trying to stay conscious and you're, then all I want to do is like be here. Unless you vote for Trump, but yes. Yeah, well, and then our friendships yeah. be over. <laughs> And then I'm like, not for your journey. I've got to be honest. <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I think what you just touched on is sort of like also what you touched on earlier, which is like, I feel that you just want to stay connected to me. Yeah. And I want to stay connected to you. And like, ultimately your agenda is like connection. I just want to be connected, you know? Yeah. So like you making a mess of your life here and there doesn't threaten that so Mm -hmm. I don't need to worry about it post-COVID as well because like I ache for contact with like my closest friends like yeah like miss you terribly like ache for the physical contact ache for like the comfort because things are so ambiguous be like I just I I wish we could just sort of be in the same house and make some up because I sort of just need that grounding yeah um and I feel that really missing that sort of like not being able to see you, be close to you, be surrounded by you. I just feel a little crazy. <laughs> like it, yeah. Really? Like it's, I feel a little crazy, like not being able to be, um, yes, like physically close. And right. Courtney and I have talked about this several times, but we'll, if we're both in a bad way, both tend to sort of like retreat. Mm-hmm. withdraw don't really feel like talking on the phone you know and then when we spend time together it's like I have needed this so badly yeah. I've needed you so badly yes because I just don't feel normal without this time and the older I get as a woman as well like the more I just am like I mean we've talked about this it sounds kind of stupid but I would so be up for a red tent resurgence <laughs> I would be in there. Yeah. You need it. I yeah. really, really need it. 
Yeah. Like I know I live with my romantic partner and I love it. I wouldn't change it for the world. And we spend loads of time together, more time together than ever. And we've made it. Like we've spent six straight months together, Whitney. <laughs> you know? like, it's great. And also like, God, I need more days spent with these women. Yeah. You know, so part of, part of the thing I've been doing in COVID just to like, I don't know. It's like maybe the same way some people watch TV. <laughs> I just, I come up with like lists of women I want to get together. I do, I'm serious. And, I, and then I kind of come up with like reasons or, or things we might do. <laughs> like a topic list or is it like, no, like so I'll be, so um like I'll be 37 on Tuesday and so in my mind I'm almost 40 and and so then I think okay three years from now surely we will have like a wide enough distributed vaccine mm-hmm. some things can be normal and so I'll say I'll like get out my phone on the notes thing and be like 40th birthday <laughs> like okay it's depending on finances or or the world I either want to like rent a house in like the English countryside or I want to rent a house in like Lake Tahoe or I don't know and I something and I want to get and then I'll like make this list of like, eight women and and we're just gonna go there for a week and I'm gonna give everyone like three years notice so they can like book your just plan on a week in Positano or what have you and like, you're start, going start, I've said things to Jim like I, I'm gonna rent the house and like provide the food so people can figure out a flight I'm not trying to make this hard I want it to be magical mm-hmm. but you know start your little savings cookie jar coin thing <laughs> like, let you're saying your 40th birthday, by the way. I remember you saying that last, when was that? When did my dad die? September. So when you came to visit me, which we need to talk about that. Do you need to. Um, and you were like, I was, yes, like for my 40th birthday. And I was like, what, in 2036? He's <laughs> like, no. 50 years away. 20, 23. I was gobsmacked. I literally was like, I think that we're like 26 years old. <laughs> I legitimately keep thinking it's like your 29th birthday, like every year for eight years. I'm yeah, so no. confused. It did not hit me. No. I, well, I, is 50. Halle Berry is 54. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, I know it's wild, but I am almost 40. <laughs> but my, my friend Wendy turned 40. Um, like last week or the week before, I'm in a time warp, so I can't remember. But um, she, it was so great. We went over to her patio and like had some champagne and she has like a new baby and mm-hmm. her other kid was going to bed and her husband was like handling the inside. And it's her 40th birthday and what she wanted was like some of her ladies. Yeah. Like forget her husband. <laughs> like, just to like sit and have this talk. And we talked till almost midnight. And so it was so cathartic because she really wanted to talk about this transition she was having, this inner transition of really feeling herself shift from 
just a week ago, still kind of caring about what people think to suddenly on her 40th birthday being like, fuck it. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. Say more about this. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Where she was like, I genuinely only care about what feels healthy and good for me. Mm -hmm. And I only want the people in my life that are healthy and good for me. And I'm only interested in their opinions. Mm-hmm. And only if their opinions feel healthy and good for me. <laughs> <laughs> it was just this real owning of her, of, of um, like, I trust myself. Yeah. And you know what? Suddenly, as I like kind of walk over this metaphorical hill, life feels short. Mm, that's, yeah. And because it feels shorter, I don't have time for the other shit anymore none of it no time for no bullshit like i'm not gonna be here forever like it is there will be an end to this story Mm -hmm. so so i'm not yeah like if you don't like it metaphorical you like if the neighbors don't like whatever i'm doing well that's cool too bad they can sort that out on their own time (laughs) i love that shannon was saying that earlier today where she was talking about doing something with her wife and her wife wants her to do it. And she was like, Megan, I just, I'm almost 40 and gotta say the closer I get to that, the less I'm into doing shit. I don't feel like doing like <laughs> not in a healthy way. Like I know I've got it, you know, yeah, I've got obligations and responsibilities, but like if I really don't want to do something or it's going to cause me a whole lot of stress to accommodate you, I just do it less. Yeah. And- I would have, but the something that dawned on me when you were talking as well is like something I'm sick of when it comes to platonic friendships and the way they're portrayed between women mm. is this idea that you can't, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's my shit, but like you can't insist on having time with your female friends, insist on that being as important mm if not more important in some ways than your romantic relationship without it base, without you being kind of like a shrew without a real housewife. Like I need girl time so I can like drink excessive amounts of wine and like talk shit about all our husbands or our partners. And it's like, that's not, that's not it. That's not the thing. And that's really annoying because every time, say for, if we were like in a fight or something, every time I've spent time with my girlfriends, it's made me a better wife. Like I go home and I'm like, I feel like myself. I love you so much. I'm so glad I'm here with you. Like, thank God I'm coming home to you. I feel great. Don't you feel great? Love you. Good night. You know, like they're not, I'm not spending time wanting to be like with my ladies and say, take care of the kids. Cause like you suck and only people get me like, that's not, I hate that. Yeah. I'm with you. I do, I do insist on time with the women in my life. Mm -hmm. I think some of that is about like when I was a child, I, I got mistreated by the girls in my life. Like I had what I thought were friends and then they were bullies and it, it went on for three years. So like three pretty formative years of just like every single day at school being afraid and insecure and confused and um it really shaped me as much as anything and 
So I think that I have having healthy female friendships now feel like treasures, feel like, like jewels, feel like um, just something that I couldn't take for granted if I wanted to. Like there, it's all too precious to me. It's, it feels kind of miraculous, you know, even though like that was, okay, so that was like, uh, you know, a little less than 30 years ago. And it's still, um, I don't know, it's, it still feels like um, healing every single time I'm with women that I love, that love me, where everything feels safe. Mm. Like it always feels healing. Mm -hmm. It can be like a Tuesday and, and it's an hour and we go for a walk or something, but it's, I'm always like, okay, I, I, so then, yeah. So then you come back into your life, your domestic life or your partnership energized. Yeah. And grateful. And you have some, you have more to give. Yeah. Yeah. Or I do. No, I do too. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like the other thing that I think just are like flying in my head as you're talking, I'm fully listening and that yeah. will like spark something. Platonic <laughs> breakups. Because uh, I'm being bullied. And so I was thinking about like, you know, when that when like the fractions happen as well. Oh yeah. I don't have an extensive dating history. I think I probably had my heart broken before, you know, meeting Nick and all the heartbreaks and the men's that end within you yeah. know, or a little bit. Yeah. I had my heart properly broken like one time. And I don't even think about that person. Like yeah. I didn't think about that guy. I the Friendships, the platonic friendships that have ended are like haunting. Oh, completely. Haunting. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, to this day where I'm like, was that the right thing? You know, and think about like, should I call her? And I'm like, but we're moved on now. Like, it's not, I don't think that's the right thing, but I'm just like, God, that is so tragic what it's happened. It's incredibly tragic. Yeah. You know, I have had, um, I had a platonic breakup with a friend in high school that then we reconciled in like after college, I think, or maybe towards the end. I don't know. Definitely after college. And it's, it's like something that I hold incredibly dear. We're not super close friends, but I know for sure because of the, the sincerity of the work that we did repairing the breakup that like, we are each other's champions now emotionally, even though we don't spend much time together or talk very often. It's like, and yeah, I also don't have an extensive dating history. I basically really truly in an adult way dated like one other person other than Jim. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't for very long. And so, it, it doesn't, I don't, I never think about it. Um, but then I've had 
I've had friendships where we have to take space for a while and maybe it's like not really explicitly spoken, but it just kind of happens. And then maybe things come back together once each person has done a bit of growing. Um, and, and then I've had the breakups where it's like done and it's yeah. done forever. And oftentimes like they, that person is still, I can only think of one right now. There's probably, there's, I think, let me think. <sighs> yeah, I think there's just one um, where it really is like absolutely no contact. And, um, but I know that that person is still connected to people that I'm connected to. And, and so I, I, I'm sort of aware of what's happening in their life a bit. And I know they are of mine Mm -hmm. and, um, but the circumstances, like if you're going to break up a friendship, it means something horrible happened. Yeah. And so I think that's why the pain lingers mm -hmm. because it's like, oh, oh my God, you know, the betrayal was, was yeah. so big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that kind of feeling of the amount of betrayal it would take to yeah. really break up a friendship like that, where you're just like, that doesn't, I mean, that changes you a bit, yeah. I think. Um, and then by the flip side, or I never get this phrase right. It's like by the flip side of that token, I don't know. <laughs> Six one that doesn't have the, I don't know. Um, <laughs> the flip side of that claim is like, I have another friend where our breakup, I feel like so much peace about it, Whitney, like so much peace because I know the difference between like how my inner circle acts when I'm present or not present, when I'm present or absent um, versus the way that this woman conducted herself. And I'm like, I can sleep so fucking sound at night without you in my life. Like there is, I'm either like haunted. So I've got like one where I'm like completely haunted and another where I'm just like fucking bye. <laughs> of luck to you like my life is easier without you in it and like I wish you all the best I really genuinely do I don't think you're about my I am less stressed because you're you got weird you got motives that hurt me yeah so like bye yeah there's um what's that I, I said this phrase on in a conversation with my client today I said, you know, I, don't, I go, I don't remember who said it, but someone said, the truth will set you free, but first it will have its way with you. I love that. And she was like, I've only heard the truth will set you free. And like, yeah, I, I know it's like in the Bible, but this is someone else took that and then said more. And then she was like, I'm gonna have to look that up. I've never heard that. So then we were looking it up together and we couldn't find it anywhere. And she was like, she was like, are you sure you didn't just say that? <laughs> A, if I did, kudos to me. B of all, I've seen it on Instagram many a time. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, I know I didn't. <laughs> um, but I couldn't remember where and who. And I was like, some, I, I think it's from a lady. Like, that's all I know for sure. It feels, it feels like, like a, thing a lady would say for sure. It feels like a, like a Barbara Brown Taylor type of, type of <laughs> you know, I don't know. 
um, Oprah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like Marcus Aurelius and you and I are going to feel like total idiots, but whatever. <laughs> I'm back. I'm going to back away from, I'm not going to double down. Oh, okay. Anyways. Um, and so there is, there are relationships that change and it's painful when they do, but ultimately it's, it's a relief because you yeah. it's sort of like, okay, I have clarity mm. that I didn't have before. And that truth is painful, but I'd rather know than not know. Mm -hmm. And so, okay. You know, I would much rather know than not know when it comes to my platonic friendships versus like my marriage, frankly. 110%. If Nick decides to have an affair, do you know what my answer is? I better not find out. Yeah. That's how I feel. I better not find out. It will cause me pain. Like, I don't want you to do it, but I'm actually more concerned that I'm going to find out and be devastated. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. These platonic friendships, I'm like, I got to know. Yeah. I know. I need to know where we stand. I got to know where we stand. And actually, that is extremely, that is like my great trigger in friendships is if I don't know where we stand. Yeah, no, it feels bad. And I, I, uh, I know that that's not true for everybody. So I try to, I try not to put that onto everybody, mm -hmm. but I also don't consider somebody a close friend unless I really know where we stand. Yeah. Yeah. And I also don't want Jim to have an affair, but, and I, he has so little game and no ability to lie. So I can't like really imagine that I, it's like something I can't imagine at all. I mean, I don't even know how he'd pick someone up because he can't, he, he can't. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't mean like because of like his like resume or like, whatever or how he looks i mean because he like doesn't know how to talk to women <laughs> thank you including well now he knows how to talk to me but like he spent 13 years of our friendship of 13 years before we started dating was him trying to figure out how to talk to me right that's right i forgot about that oh my god oh bless jim's little robert duvall heart oh, every time i see a robert duvall movie i'm like jim <laughs> I don't know why. I'm just, it warms my heart. <laughs> like, it really does. But so, yeah. But if he were to like make a, some kind of, if he had an opinion about me that was negative, I'm like, that's fine. You keep that to yourself. Cool. <laughs> you have lots of those, I bet. And because I feel like those are less about, I don't know. You're right. I don't know what that says, but I would just be like, you know what? <sighs> okay. Cause like, I know that you treasure me and I know that part of, part of what we're doing is triggering each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't do that unless you like hate me sometimes yeah. and vice versa. So like, I, I hate when you're mad at me, it feels bad. Cause I want you to like me and I want you to have a crush on me. Yeah. You know, like I really want you to approve of me, yeah. but I'm not scared that my husband's going to go attempt to destroy my connections with other people. Never. When I see a woman doing something like that, oh yeah, oh, that those are some choppy, sharp, confessed waters, and like, not interested. We are done here. That's yeah, that's it. 
yeah, so my, I agree with you. It's like the talking shit that, that, <clears throat> and even if Jim were to like speak critically of me, he would make sure to do that in an environment where everybody actually loves me and they get it. Yeah. You know? Totally. Um, where actually the friendship breakup that I'm talking about is, is that I found out that this person was talking shit and they, and I read it. I read it because it was like like a shared computer situation. Mm, joy. And um and and those moments are so harrowing because you're like, what what's the point? Like, yeah. Why would you even I mean the why would you even bother to do like what are you getting from this? Yeah. Like, what did I do to you that you want me to feel socially isolated, which is like a deeply traumatic experience? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> why would you, why are you going around like trying to snip connection? Like, what could I have done to you yeah. to make you want to do that? So like, and if I have, for fuck's sake, come and talk to me about it. Yeah, that's the other thing. I think you and I actually in our friendship, that's one of the reasons that it feels so safe is because when we, when we mess up, there's a, I don't, I don't go around talking about it yeah, no. to anybody. I just like, it's fast. It's furious. It's like Megan. Yeah. <laughs> SOS. Yeah. Yeah. No, but totally. And like, it's painful and it's embarrassing, but oh, totally would never occur to me. And not because I'm such a great person. This is about you and about our friendship. It would never occur to me to be upset with you and to go to other women and be like, I don't know about that, Whitney, you know, like it's <laughs> like, whoa. Yeah. And actually it's revealing to me mm. about how I feel about people. If, if I'm willing or thinking about yeah, like processing or talking shit, you know? Yeah, like I've got some resentment to cook in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you and I have talked about this before too, but um, like occasionally there's there's a relationship that's like a friendship or whatever, or a family member where there's there's a problem, but it, that person is is like intractable. They're not going to be available for feedback. It's yeah. just going to blow up. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying that it's not appropriate to process that with somebody else. But I think actually it's like a real commitment of mine for the most part to do that with like a lot of consideration. Like I talk to you about someone that's not also your really good friend. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's not, it's not going to harm your relationship with you don't even know them or like you don't hang out or you don't, you know, I think you're just also aware, which I give you a lot of credit for. Like, I think that the, the flip side of being incredibly emotionally intelligent is the capacity for incredible emotional manipulation. And I think that you're also aware of um, your ability to do that if you needed or wanted to. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you've got to make special oh. efforts. God. Oh, so in, I used to always talk to Barb, my old therapist about this, because um, you know how like Jungian analysis, 
is uh, just like the weirdest, coolest thing. But you, you wind up trying to get into relationship with all these different like parts of yourself, mm -hmm. like aspects or complexes or whatever, but these like inner figures. And I would constantly talk about like my inner witch. And I didn't mean like cool, trendy witch. Yeah. I meant like Bellatrix Lestrange, <laughs> you know, like, like this part of me that, that could and sometimes has hmm. manipulated situations out of fear with major consequences, hmm. you know? Hmm. And um, making that conscious though was the entire the entire path out of it if that makes sense yeah so okay that's in there um that's an aspect of myself that like developed in response frankly to this early childhood bullying mm -hmm. you know okay i'm gonna get out in front of all of this i'm gonna be like seven steps ahead 24 steps ahead stuff like that mm -hmm. That's why I have case files in everybody in my head. <laughs> oh yeah, like got it. You never know when you got to tap into those. Got I gotta know. Um, so it, it's all coming from fear, but you know, f the it's like that Joni Mitchell lyric in her song "Come In from the Cold," where she says, um, "We never, we never will be perfect. Never entirely clear. We get hurt and we just panic and we strike out out of fear." Mm -hmm. like, that's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I remember talking with Barb and she was like, well, great. If you can manipulate that well, perfect. Then you can start manipulating for the good. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, it was a little bit juicier than that. But the point is like, if you have this power, this capacity, you can use it for good or for evil. And that is, that's your work then to, to always try to stay conscious of, of that kind of magic because it can be very harmful and it can be transformational and healing. And I think it's one of the reasons I'm a therapist is because I get in a room with somebody and pretty quickly I'm like, oh, I know how to manipulate you for your own benefit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I could do it, but I could. <laughs> no, I do. That's do what you? I actually do. Of course, that's the whole job. That's fascinating. The whole entire job is, is essentially slow, slow, slow manipulation into healing and health. God, it's so interesting. No wonder I was drawn to the profession. <laughs> I do want to talk about how the anniversary of, of your dad's death is coming up really soon. It is coming up really, really soon. Yeah, I don't, I, it's what, like a month from now, almost to the day. Well, that's not true. It's almost a month from now. I have found Christmas was really hard. He'd been dead for a few months and I was just like holding my breath. Yeah. Held my breath for like a week. Um, and then it was like, Father's Day was okay. It was like, I, it just didn't happen. So I was like, oh, 
That was, that's weird that that didn't hurt that much. And I actually felt bad. It didn't hurt that much. I was like, do I, am I disconnecting from him? Like that? No, you know, and then my birthday rolled around and the day of my birthday, Nick woke me up as he's wont to do. He wakes up early and then like, he messes me and he comes and wakes me up and mm-hmm. yeah, it's really sweet. And he like brought me presents and He's like, come downstairs, come downstairs. And we just like went and sat in the garden and it was a beautiful day. And I just immediately started to cry and was just like, I miss my dad, you know, and just, and it wasn't because my dad wasn't there. It was because I could feel him there so presently. It was because I felt like I woke up and he was like, happy birthday. Hi, it's your birthday. Like he was, I could feel his excitement that it was my birthday and it was about me and oh my baby and you're alive and I'm so proud of you. And not being able to hug him when he was right there Agonized. was so painful. Yeah. Um, you know, and like Nick held me, you know, like let me sit with him and just and didn't like let me sit with him. I mean, like he welcomed me to his lap and held me and kind of rocked me and I cried and, um, and then got on with the rest of the day and it was good. And then the next day I called Shannon and Gabby. So talked to, talk to them and then called her back like five minutes later, just sobbing. It's just like, dad didn't call me on my birthday and he's never going to call me on my birthday again. Like it was just something about that. And she, she said the same. She was like, I wondered how you, my birthday was really rough because he didn't call me. And it was like, my dad sometimes used to call at like nine o'clock at night, even for me, because of the time difference, yeah. but he'd always make it. Yeah. And I'd always get a card from him and a present from him and, and, you know, my stepmom and, and it didn't come mm. and I didn't see my family, you know, and it just, it felt like such an overwhelming, um, void. And then to not be with my family, like I really didn't see them. Wow. And like, I really didn't get a message from a couple of my family members, you know, and I was just sort of like, what's, yeah, it's, it was really hard. So I, I don't really know what to expect from his anniversary. I just know that I'm mad about it because I don't, I feel like it just happened and I don't want to talk to people about my dad not having died really recently. Like I need them to know how important this is or it doesn't help anything. So I don't know why I care. I've asked myself like, what's the difference, Megan? It doesn't matter actually if people know I'm in pain and know how great he was like, who cares? But Oh, it matters. You know, I know like how that feels. Not that specific thing, but um, it's like you keep having to grieve them over and over when less people are holding it with you or his memory fades for more people or like let like I used to attend this support group called compassionate friends which is a support group for parents who have lost children when I was in college as a part of this curriculum I long story but this this parents who only knew each other through this support group mm-hmm. would meet once a month and they would drive long distances to attend this meeting sometimes because it was the only place they could keep the memory of their children alive in a way that didn't freak everybody out. 
Mm. Like the whole room understood how important it was every month for those parents to get to talk about their kids at length. Yeah. You know, and I, and they would often talk about how people in their life don't talk to them about their kids because they're uncomfortable. They don't, or they don't know, you know, it's been 16 years. And so people don't know that they lost their son in an automobile accident 16 years ago. They just, they just know them because they're the new neighbors or they just know them because they're the new account executive on the, you know, whatever it is. And, um, and it feels like you're always losing them when it's not fresh in the minds of the people that are in your life um, in a meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't want to be, or I don't want to be like, yeah, I, so my dad did this. He's not here anymore. He died four years ago. Like, hate that. No, no. Nope. No, no. Because anytime anyone said that to me, that person they just mentioned is generally a vague idea. Yeah. And my dad's not an idea. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah, so I hate that. So I sort of feel like with his one year, it's like I lose no. the ability to be like, my dad just died. Yeah. He's still, because people then recognize, they're like, oh, like that's a person who is still almost here. Yeah. He's still you're in mourning or something. Yeah. Some understanding of that. Whereas it's wrong, but people, I mean, just, just yesterday I was thinking of, and then really feeling my grandma. And I was, I mean, I, I was close to tears quick. The loss felt really big. I mean, I was really, really missing her. And, but I understand Right. If somebody says like, um, my dad passed away seven years ago, you know, people are kind of like, oh, I'm sorry. But it's, yeah. but what they don't understand is like, for me, it feels like a minute ago sometimes mm -hmm. or that it hasn't even happened yet. And mm -hmm. I'm still, I still ache. I still ache and I'll always ache. And that it may not be as acutely all the time, but sometimes it will be. And so, you know, grief isn't linear and yet we get kind of taught to think of it that way. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I don't think anyone, like <laughs> when I sometimes introduce Evie to people, I'm like, this is Evelyn. We call her Evie. Oh, I love that name. Thanks. She's named after my grandma. And what I, and people are like, oh, okay. You know, and what I want to be like, is like, you don't understand. Yeah. She's named after my person. Mm -hmm. And even her nickname is the same. And that was on purpose because I'm trying to keep this person alive. Yeah. So show some respect. <laughs> Take a moment. <laughs> like let that sink in <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's outrageous to expect that from people yes, it is but <laughs> it's what you want it's what I want it's and I know from other people when they talk about their person diet so like my grandma you know I was really close to her or if I see people be like you know my mom's her four year anniversary or whatever I'm like oh 
you know, it's like, there's just more, I have so much more empathy for those moments than before when I was like, oh, that's horrible. And no doubt they're still really missing that person. But I just didn't have any concept of it in a real way because I had been through it. So it's, you, you kind of have to be in the club. Um, yeah. To, and I also feel when people join that club, like so, so bad for them. I'm like, I'm so sorry, dude. Like, it's just a rough ride. You've got to have, um, so yeah, thank you for asking. Do you think it's the same when people lose their parents? Um, like when their parents are very old? I just assume it is because, yeah, I don't know. I, but I don't know. My mom says not. Oh, really? Yeah. She was like, I miss my dad a lot, but I have so much more peace. I feel really bad for you girls because he should have been here 20 more years. Like it just got it. You know, like it just is a different sort of, and I don't think that has to be true for everybody. Mm -hmm. I I'm with you. If somebody's like, yeah, my dad was 80, but he just died. I'm like, fair play. Like yeah. you are entitled to every ounce of like wailing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. It just, because there's, you know, there's, it's like we somehow decide that if someone's like 92 or something that you're like, Oh, it was time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I made a good run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yet depending on that, a lot of things that that might mean just 92 years of more memories and more to lose. I don't know. Those people may have had to watch their parents degenerate. Yeah. And like, I was thinking about this yesterday. How lucky am I? I know for sure my dad was in no pain. Yeah. Like we knew we were going to have to let him go. They, they, these amazing healthcare professionals were like, we're going to jack his medicine up to a 10. Mm -hmm. We are going to remove his breathing apparatus. And when we do, and his heart goes out, it's going to look like he's choking and it's going to look like he's gasping for air. He is not, he can't feel anything. I promise you that had they not told me that I would have been screaming at the top of my lungs in that room watching that. Now I at least have the incredible gift of knowing that he was not in any pain. Yeah he probably had his heart attack two weeks before and never like he was alive, but he wasn't there anymore. Like he was really gone and getting old was not for my dad. Yeah. It was not his style. He was not interested. Yeah. I, you know, like if he, if it turned around tomorrow that he had been kidnapped and he faked his own death, I'd be like, I'm, I love you so much. I'm so glad to see you, but actually I'm kind of bummed for you because now you're going to be old. Now you're going to have to be old and you were not up for it. You didn't like it. You know, it wasn't your style. It was, <laughs> it was your nightmare. Yeah. So I will never have to watch him get Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. One of my grandmas was like that. My dad's mom, she, like one of my main memories of her is that she didn't want to be old and she talked about it all the time. Mm -hmm. And she had like a massive lights out heart attack at 70. Two, I think something like that. Seventy. I don't know. And it was shocking and sad, but every single person was like, yeah, that's, yeah. She would have been one of the hardest 
people to watch age. Yeah. Like, like not into it. No. A part of it was she was so beautiful. Mm. You know, she was like a beautiful little kid, but like a beautiful woman, beautiful, like one contest, you know, like wow. she didn't even like enter, you know, they'd just be like, you, yeah. <laughs> you win this beauty contest. And she, you know, like she went to college and they just like, were like, you win the con the beauty contest for the most beautiful co-ed at the, at the school. You know, and she was like, oh, okay. I mean, it's like, <laughs> she's yeah. like, All right. like very beautiful woman. And I think aging was stripped away a lot of like her identity and her power to her, to, in her mind. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Like, cause she was even kind of like, she was kind of beautiful as like a 70 year old too. She had like silk, like silver. Not not like gray, like silver wavy hair and like, you know, big brown eyes and like, you know, she olive complected and like dressed kind of well. I, like, I remember as a kid being like, I think my grandpa is still like really sexually attracted to my grandma. Like I like understood. I was like, yeah. there's there's something there still. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh, dreams. Yeah. <laughs> It seems to be like that, to like own that in such a way. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay. So I just love you. I love you so much. Um, remind me, it's the 20 something of September, 27th? 20 it's the 24th, but do me a favor. Give me a call on the 13th. Cause that's, I feel like that's the real day. Um, because he was gone after that. So yeah, the, the 13th is the day. And on that call, we're going to have a serious talk about how I said it earlier, I think, but it's worth saying again, I owe you like a huge fucking apology about the way I behaved after Mana passed away. So we want to have that conversation as well. Oh, I don't think you do. You were getting married. Thank you. What a dick. <laughs> no, I think I was a dick too. I think it was grieving. I was just a dick. So getting married, which I know in getting married, you have, it's like a rite of passage. When you are getting married, you have to be kind of nutty towards at least one person. It's a rule. Way to pick someone. <laughs> I, I did it to Rebecca. <laughs> I was just so hungry. <laughs> I was just so angry. Oh, yeah, you wanted to hide it. Yeah, yeah, you can't hold that against yourself. <laughs> but but it's, it weighs in my mind, and I did have a dream that Mana was in, and you were in. Yeah. So as well. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. That's so sweet. And I was kind of a dick leading up to your wedding, because I think I was, I, like, I had already... I, well, you know, when I got like really, really consumed with Jim was like before I even knew you, mm -hmm. you know? And so I was kind of like jealous. I was like, why can't you talk to me more? <laughs> why are you always I know. a dick? It's not cool. <laughs> In a I new was totally consumed. It's, it's natural, but I like, it's natural to be consumed. It's also frustrating. and. 
I was admittedly codependent. So you were also just kind of calling me out for being like pretty codependent, which I was. So I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think there's also like, there's definitely truth in that. So I, I forget about everything once people or myself like own it and start doing the work. I immediately right. control alt delete. Right. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, it's like the typewriter where you like swing it to the left. Or <laughs> oh, I love that sound. Yeah. So someone's like, hey, yeah. I'm going to go to Al-Anon and work on codependency. And I'm like, swing. <laughs> no, I'm not worried about that anymore. Well, I appreciate that. It's a work in progress. Always will be. But yeah, I look back at that. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure she was mad because I was obsessed with my boyfriend. <laughs> and, like didn't make time to chat, which I think. <laughs> but I, that's like, as I age that's a thing that's always like bothered me so much to the point where like I have had to learn to like like calm the fuck down that's part of it you know mm. I think it's because like I didn't really do it I don't know why I just I am like sort of like pragmatic about love in a way that I didn't know that I yeah. was like, I thought I was a romantic because I think that's what the culture is trying to tell me I should be or something or it sounded fun or like it was a cool idea <laughs> it's nice it's like cute what who wouldn't who's who doesn't want to describe themselves and think of themselves as romantic yeah and as it turns out what I am is like an an aggressive pragmatist about love where I'm like once you have demonstrated to me that you are reliable trustworthy healthy emotionally available adult male, then I will consider whether or not I could love you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go about it that way. <laughs> no, I think, I think you and Jim probably had like a secure attachment versus like my anxious yeah, attachment yeah. style, which makes it. Tricky. Yeah, well, that's totally true. Because yeah. I, I did have a secure attachment to him, which I think is the only reason I could let myself fall for somebody, frankly. It's like I had to know which is very narcissistic. It comes from wounding. So I'm going to be gentle with myself here, but I needed to know that like, I was the only one for him in order to be like, okay, I'll marry you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I loved him too. And still, I know that you did, did and do. Yeah. But like, I wasn't, I was, I wasn't even really willing to date people unless I was like confident that they thought I was like hung the moon in the sky because of fear. Mm -hmm. I just, and I knew I could give that back. Like I knew I could give that same devotion and um, respect and wonder and, you know, faith back probably tenfold. Like I knew I could I knew I could almost drown someone in, in like magic. If but I, so, I kind of needed to know they could meet me there, and so I just didn't. I didn't really like open up my heart until I was like, okay. That makes so much sense. Why would you risk that? That would be. I don't know anybody would recover from like. Give you my wild. Give you a child. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I know where you were. I know where you were going. That's what I'm saying. I when I heard that song, 
Tay-Tay's song, (laughs) (laughs) the lyrics, it's not even like the melody is all, I don't even know, but just when she's like, and you'd know that I swing with you for the fences, sit with you in the trenches, give you my wild, give you a child. I was like, okay, there isn't any other kind of magic I can bestow. I mean, there's no, there's no big, it's like a gift from the goddess to, to offer that to somebody. It's not even really yours. It's not even totally human. And I just, I just only wanted to do that with, I don't know, the, the person archetypally that was like willing to like, you know, take a machete to the thorns and fight the dragon. Yeah, who's going to appreciate that and make it a good idea? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know what that's about. It's not like I saw an unhappy marriage or anything. I, I don't even know where that comes from, truly. Well, you said it might not come from you. It's just like you just have a deep capacity, deep blessing, deep whatever you want to call it. So you're really old. You think I'm really old? I told you that. Like your like your soul is very, very old, I believe. Like really old. I think that's why you and I are I don't know for sure that souls have ages, but let's say they do. I think that's a piece. (laughs) I think that's a piece of why you and I had love at first sight. Because we were like, oh, someone from the old times. God, you're here. (laughs) We're doing this again. All right. Fancy meeting you in this location. I know. Of course we're at psychology school. <laughs> Every time I'm mad about my student loans from oh. Adler, I'm like, well, if that's the price of meeting Megan. That's my thing. I'm like, well, and we're talking like six figs, you know? <laughs> Happy pay. <laughs> like memo for Whitney and Casey. <laughs> So, what's one thing you wish everyone knew? I I don't know exactly how to phrase this, but I wish that everyone knew or we could somehow all recognize that platonic love isn't just... Maybe everybody knows this, right? But, like, platonic love is is not a holding place for people who haven't found romantic love yet. Mm. You know, it's, I think what I have in mind is when I think about our parents and people who are older and the power that those relationships can have, Mm -hmm. not just to them, but I mean, to, to their children and their friends' children. So um, I don't think you see tons of stories about, especially male friendships, or at least I haven't Mm. seen a whole lot of really powerful, moving, emotional, like deep, raw, vulnerable stories about platonic love between men. Mm. Um, I think there's more coming out but I, I hadn't, read, say, read any good books or seen many movies about it and been really inspired by it. And I, for me, when I think about my dad, one of the things that I will always remember about 
that period of time when he was in the hospital and we didn't know what was going to happen to him was the power of his friends. Mm. There were, there were three men uh, who were there pretty much every day. And there's one, he, I mean, he's been around since I was a kid. Like I remember him from dinner parties, Mm -hmm. you know, he was just always one of those kind, you know, benevolent guys who somehow always, I still feel the need to call him by his last name. (laughs) You know, like he keeps trying to correct me and I keep being like, I can't. (laughs) And he, he was there and he was there for my dad, but he was there for us. Wow. So he was there to go into the room alone with my dad. And I remember watching him fussing over every machine and every noise and asking the nurse, what's that? Well, what's that? Well, what does this tell us? Hmm. And I was just watching him like fuss over my dad and, and wonder what's happening. I could just see like his wheels turning and how is he getting the right care? And then, you know, he was there to tell us stories about him. Wow. And comfort us. Mm. And I, I kind of wondered, you know, I was like, I, I know a lot more about female friendships, you know, female platonic love. And it just kind of made me wonder if there is some kind of code or like if he knew that what my dad would want is for him to be there and comfort us. Wow. Damn. Yeah. And it was like, th- there were, there was another guy there that my dad's worked with forever and he was there. All his stories were funny. <laughs> and the first friend, all his stories were poignant mm. and he was checking on us, us, us. And, and my dad's best friend came and he, I just remember his agony. Wow. His, the, the pain on his face, like just the, the fear, the worry that, he, you know, when you're so upset about something, you literally feel like you are going to jump out of your skin. Like you, you cannot sit in a chair. You do not know what to do with your hands. Like, and he was trying so hard to just be in a physical body and it was causing him so much distress. And yet he was still trying to make us laugh. And I remember, um, this is probably one of the most powerful expressions of platonic love I have ever seen Mm. was watching him try to contain himself and then go, I've got to go in there. I've got to go into the room. Mm. And he was kind of joking and he was like, come on, Jack, you know, show me there's something between those ears, you know, and kind of making light. But then he was in there for about half an hour. And I suddenly, you know, as people do when they're waiting for somebody to live or die, you, you can hang out for a bit and then you're like, I've, I, ah, I've got to be with them or I've got to go walk or I've got to go outside. You like have to move. Um, so I was like, I'm going to go be with dad. Mm-hmm. And I got to the door of my dad's room and I stopped because I saw his friend at the foot of his bed begging him to wake up. Wow. And he didn't know I was there. You know, this is somebody who used to pick me up from preschool. Wow. And to hear him at the foot of the bed saying, Jack, please, you have to wake up. Please wake up. And I I couldn't go in. I had to let them, you know, have that. I just turned around. But 
but I just, I watched and I just felt so badly for him in that moment. I knew how much he loves him and how much my dad loved Mac and this loss was going to be so profound for him. And he was so scared and so upset, but I was so thankful for these men who loved my dad so much and and we're there you know they're they dropped everything they were there and when my dad finally went I'll never forget the the minute that we left the room and went back to the waiting room one of his friends just smiled at me and opened his arms really wide and said your dad was so proud of you wow and he he like he must have known that's what my dad wanted. You know, that's he must have been heartbroken, but he just wanted to let us know how much yeah we were loved. It reminds me, um you know, sometimes I think our friends are really deep, deep love relationships with our friends you know they they can be with us longer and in a different kind of way than any partner or parent or child and and when people pass we often think about checking on the family and taking care of the family and yet as you were talking I was thinking about you know it had you and I are in our thirties. It hasn't occurred to me that someday, you know, we'll be saying goodbye to each other and, and to other friends. And, um, your, your role in that moment is, is to tend to your own grief, but as a friend in a way that family members can't always manage, it's also to, to act and on behalf of that friend you know so well towards their family. Yeah. Like you're describing. To, you know, t to emotionally offer to their children, to their grandchildren, to their spouse, bits, bits of the person they're losing or have lost that you alone hold. Yeah. When my, um, there was this one winter where my grandma lost two of her siblings the same winter um, and they were 99 and 96, 95, something like that. They were old. Um, you know, several years before that, my grandfather, her husband had died and she was sad but he had been so sick and it was hard, you know, and she was depressed. But when I saw her after both of her siblings had died for the first time, 
when I came home for the holidays. She walked into my parents' kitchen and I held out my arms. We'd been talking on the phone about these losses and I held out my arms and she walked towards me and then just collapsed mm -hmm. in my arms. And I mean, hugged me so tight and, and cried. And, um, and I knew it was about, because we'd been talking, it was about how, how big the loss of, of these people, you know, the platonic loves of her life. Yeah. They had always, she was younger than them. She, she was 89 or 88, something like that. And um, the, the loneliness, the, the absence was so huge. You know, she talked to her brother every morning at 7 a.m. every day. Mm -hmm. And then that was just gone. She talked to her sister every Sunday for several hours and that was just gone. And they held pieces of each other that nobody, nobody else could hold. And I thought that her grief was actually bigger and harder with her siblings than her husband. Mm. And I got, I got it. It made sense. N not because of lack of love for my grandpa, but just, just different. Just different, but God, that, that loss, like I can, the loneliness, like how do you, how do you account for, or what box do you put in? You know, I lost my husband and I've also lost my siblings, but I'm also really, really old. So is it fine? It's not fine to me, you know, or, you know, how do you lose your best friend and business partner of 35 years in your 60s is that too soon is that too late does it matter what's it I mean like getting this kind of loss I think it's also hard because it's there just aren't the ceremonies the rituals the recognitions to honor necessarily when you lose that kind of love it's so profound and when you have it the joy right like the the you know when you fall madly in love with someone and you want to build a life with them there's eight million ways to celebrate recognize create a ritual that says to you and everyone in the universe like I'm enter entering a new phase with this person or you know whatever and I think for friendships th those same milestones are still there they just don't, yeah, they just don't kind of get that same, like, parade, <laughs> but they're just as felt. Yeah, you're right. You can, you know, make a friendship bracelet or get a matching tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> don't recommend. <laughs> I mean, actually, it sounds kind of fun now that you're saying it. It's a little one. No, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, a what? Decline. Hard pass. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, so you, yeah, you have to carry it differently. Yeah. Without 
without as as much community acknowledgement um and yet you know i have like i was saying earlier when i think about celebrating big milestones that are very personal to me of course i want my family my husband my children there but <laughs> i i kind of mostly want to be um like with my I don't even know what to call like I wanted to say with my with my witches or like with my bitches. Yeah. <laughs> I I um remember I I think I used to say this or we would say it to each other like if something happens to me I need you to come into my house get my yeah. hard drive. Yes. <laughs> I want you to clear my hard drive. I want you to grab the vibrator that I have in the second drawer to the left before my mom finds it. I would like you to remove my weed, smoke it if you like. <laughs> and those earrings have them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do do take all of my journals. Yes, please. And do what you will. I don't care if you read them before you burn them. That's fine. <laughs> Actually, um, because platonic love is not just same gender, obviously. Yeah. Um, it is for us, but it's like for you and me, but yeah. one of my, um, my colleague and my good friend, Adam, I have a very platonic love relationship with him. It's a, I feel very like older sisterly to him. And, um, uh, he has said to me, like, if something happens to me, I need to send you like the stuff I'm working on. I need to send you the drafts of my books. Hmm. If something happens to me, I trust you will sort out what people should not see. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, he's very happily married and yeah. has a son and, you know, a lot of good dude friends. But there's a, there's a degree of like, yeah, I got it. I won't embarrass you. And I also won't be horrified by something you've written down, whether yeah. it's too confessional or, or kind of dumb. I get it. <laughs> you know? I get it. I read you. It makes me wonder as well, because now that you're saying that, I'm thinking about my, you know, friendships with guys. And I, there's one, there are a few work colleagues in particular who I just absolutely love. And, you know, I feel like we have genuine friendships. And there's one in particular who, um, it's completely platonic and like we're both married, but we travel for work together sometimes and we go essentially on like dates because <laughs> we get to go to dinner on a Saturday night and we just have a delightful conversation. There's yeah. nothing implied, but I'm just like, oh, you're such a fun date. I just yeah. love you. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing going to happen, but we just have a hilarious friendship and I miss it in lockdown. I'm like, oh, I really want to go on a business trip together. It's fun. It's fun. And I think that there is something about um, American culture in particular. So I've heard um, from a friend of mine from work, a guy who used to live in Shanghai. And he was like, honestly, this is a big, I think this is a bit of an American thing, maybe also a British thing as well. It's a very Western idea that you cannot 
have platonic love relationships of the opposite sex. So in when I lived in China, it was not a big deal to, you know, invite a female friend out for a meal and enjoy each other's company and you know, nothing, nothing implied. Whereas once I moved back to the UK and the time I've spent in the US, certainly in the US, I would never expect to hang out with a person of the opposite sex without their spouse present unless it was a work meeting. Wow. Because like Americans don't do that. <laughs> That's not, it's just different. You know, it's weird because I, I both understand it and don't because mm -hmm. I think if you have self-awareness and good boundaries, you know, which people, it is perfectly fine for you to have a deep, meaningful friendship with of the opposite gender and which you shouldn't. You know, in fact, if I am in a deep, meaningful friendship with someone of the opposite gender, the main thing they should know is that I am not attracted to them. <laughs> well, right. The, one of the tenets of the friendship is we're not going to ever have sex. So <laughs> I need you to know, to appreciate about me that, which you would if we were close friends, that that is going to make me uncomfortable if we start to go there. I'm not into it. I'm married. I'm cool. That's... Yeah. We wouldn't be in a, in a friendship with. No. And my willingness to be in this friendship is actually all the information you need about whether or not I'm attracted to you. Right. <laughs> the fact that we are hanging out and I have friend zoned you should let you know that we will be ice skating in hell before this turns into anything. <laughs> and right. it doesn't mean that they are not attractive. No. At all. It just means I am not attracted because attraction is so complex and personal and has to do with pheromones and smells and, and uh, complexes and destiny. <laughs> destiny. <laughs> I get it. And also, I think if I was hanging out a lot with a guy friend and Nick pointed out to me, I was spending a lot of time with this person. If I told him it's fine because attraction's about pheromones and destiny, I'm not sure how I would go over. So I also get that if, if my husband had spent a lot of time with like a female friend, there would definitely be questions in my mind about like, hmm, what doors could be opened easily? You know, I don't know. Huh, interesting. That made me think if I would feel as comfortable with Jim spending time and energy with a woman, I think I would be less comfortable um, depending on what it was. Yeah. So if he was doing things like um, bird watching <laughs> with a woman friend of his, I would understand it's because I will not go do that. Right, that's a good point. You like find a friend who will do that stuff I hate. Yeah. But if he were, or um, playing basketball or something, I don't sure. know, golf. But if he was on the phone chatting about his feelings, I would be horrified. Yes, that's an excellent point. Also, if they were going to like the theater on a Saturday night, you know, followed by a romantic dinner, yeah. I would be like, okay, that's. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, because like, I know you don't want to go to the theater and a dinner. So if you're doing that with another woman, then you must like her because you do that stuff with me just because you like me. <laughs> That's such a good point because it depends what the thing is. I think Nick could probably go to the theater with any old person, but if he was like, I'm going to watch Netflix on the sofa for five hours with you, I would be like, what is going on? <laughs> because that for him is torture. Let's see how we can wrap this up. <laughs> we could just say, look, so what have, what, what have we learned? Where have we landed on this? Have we got any ideas? But I don't want to do, do that all day for a living. I don't, I don't want to have any ideas off the back of this. I just, I just liked our chat. Me too. And I love you. I love you. Okay. I'm going to press stop. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. <sighs> that Megan, she is one of my favorites. I hope you made it to the end of our conversation about the hidden world of platonic love and were able to hear yourself in our stories or to start asking yourself some new questions about the role this kind of love plays in your own life. And I hope you'll join me again next week as I explore the hidden world of dreams and dream analysis with my colleague and friend, Adam Majors. Until then, be good to each other and to yourselves. The Hidden World is edited and produced by David Gomez. Our theme song is written and recorded by David Gomez. And I'm your host, Whitney Logan. Mm-hmm.